is our God. He is the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the Holy One, Yahweh. He is a miracle-working God. Rumors of this man spread throughout the land. People of every background heard the stories. Some traveled from afar, desperate to encounter his power and be transformed by his compassion. He is a miracle-working God. The one who fed the 5,000, the one who heals the sick, the one who brings the dead to life, the deliverer, the protector, and provider. He is a miracle-working God. Miracles are what He does. They are who He is. Miracles are His nature. Well, we are, I'm so excited today to learn more about the name and nature of God. Can you just get excited with me? That's awesome. <clears throat> this has been a great series this summer. I don't know how much of it you caught, uh, but it's all on video. Go back and watch it. Awesome stuff we've heard this summer about the names and nature of God. The reason that we have done this series, um, A.W. Tozer says it this way, there is nothing more important about you than what you think about God. So all the things that we can do for God, there's nothing more important than what we think about him. So that's why we're in the names and nature of God. We're gonna wrap it up today um, by uh, looking at the name Jehovah Jireh um, and, and trying to answer this question, can I trust God to meet my needs, to provide for my needs? That, that uh, concept of trust is a really interesting one. Have you ever trusted someone that you later regretted trusting? Everybody goes, yeah, unfortunately so. For me, it was in the seventh grade. Yeah, um, seventh grade, I was playing football, um, and I had a really big crush on this eighth grade cheerleader. And we were at football practice one day. Um, it was a half pads practice, right? That means you're wearing a helmet and shoulder pads and then just like athletic shorts on, on the bottom, right? Uh, and shoes, of course. So we're out there for practice and we're out on the football field and the cheerleaders are kind of on the sideline over there and they're practicing their stuff, right? Um, and my two buddies know that I have a crush on this eighth grade cheerleader. Um, and I was, I was too kind of not confident to talk to her, right, because she's a big eighth grader. And they're like, hey, buddy, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of help you uh, get her attention. So here's what we're going to do. The, the, they're over here on the sideline practicing. We're over here on football. We'll just kind of move over in front of them, just gradually move in front of them, and, and we'll make sure that we get her attention on you. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. And one of them says, trust me. And I'm like, well, okay. So we gradually move over in front of the cheerleaders and they're facing us, right? We're facing the football field. And, and right, I've got one on my right, one on my left, right at a strategic moment, they both together bend down and grab my shorts and yank them down. 
One of them manages to get his cleats, his shoes, on my shorts. So I am, please don't picture this, but I am bent <laughs> over trying to pull up my shorts in front of the cheerleaders thinking, I really wish I would not have trusted this guy. Today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible where Abraham chooses to trust God in a situation where the consequences were way more serious than being embarrassed in front of the middle school cheerleaders. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 18. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. I'm gonna encourage you, as you're getting there, I'm gonna encourage you to do this. Um, if you have a pen and paper, get it out because you're gonna wanna write some things down today. Um, if you take notes on your phone, uh, that means that you're younger than 40. Um, we still use paper in my generation. If you take notes on your phone, that's okay. Just take some notes today. Pull out this scripture, look it up on your phone, on your Bible, something. You're gonna wanna read this along with me. It's gonna be on the screen but you're gonna to wanna to take some notes on this. Okay, so let's look at Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Now, let's stop for a minute. We don't have time for this sermon today, but it's pretty awesome when God says to do something and early the next morning you get up and start doing it, right? So here we go. Early the next morning, he got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place where God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we, can you say we, will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, uh, to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide. Can you say that with me? God himself will provide. Um, and uh, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Are you feeling the tension of the moment? But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and the crowd went wild. 
He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, that's what you swear to if you're God, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's a lot of scripture to read on a Sunday morning. Everybody still awake? Hey, let me just put your mind at ease. This is not a story of child abuse. When I was younger and I would read this story, I pictured in my mind that Isaac was like a five or six-year-old little dude and his dad is strapping him on the altar. That's not what's going on here. Now, child sacrifice was not uncommon during this time. In the Canaanite, in, among the Canaanites, they would sacrifice their firstborn son to the pagan god Molech. That is not what's happening here. If you will look in verse six, Isaac, Abraham loads all the firewood on Isaac and he carries it up the mountain. That's not possible if he's six years old, right? Most Bible scholars believe that Isaac was somewhere in his 20s. Let's just say 25. Now, if Isaac's 25, do you know how old Abraham was when Isaac was born? He was 100. Okay, so Isaac's strapping 25. Abraham is 125. This is not child abuse. This is a very different thing. This is a father and a son choosing together to trust God, okay? I know this story can be a little difficult if you're a new believer and you hear it and you're like, man, what's going on? Hang with me because I think you're gonna have a very different picture of this story by the time we wrap up today, okay? Everybody so good? All right, so where did Isaac come from? What's the situation with Isaac and Abraham? Well, Abraham uh, leaves his country. This is earlier. Um, God tells him, hey, will you go to this new place and I'll tell you how to get there. And so it's credited to Abraham, right, as faith that he follows God to this new country. And then something happens along the way. God says to Abraham, we're gonna look in Genesis 15, verse five and six, in just a moment, so you can go ahead and turn there. But God says to Abraham, when he's old, he's like, I'm gonna give you a son. And through that son, they're gonna be a big nation, and through that, your descendants, all the nations are gonna be blessed. So let's pick up that promise in, in, in Genesis 15, verse five. It says, he, God, took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so this is the promise that God gave Abraham that he would have a son. 
this is the same son that God told him in chapter 22 to go and sacrifice, right? So Abraham's got a choice right now. He's like, well, do I believe God's promise? Do I trust in what God has promised to me? We see that he does. Uh, we're, We're going somewhere. Hang on, we're just setting up the stage right now. I see some of you on the edge of your seat going, where is this going? Hang with me. It's going to get good. Okay? So um, if we look into ver- back at verse 5, what did he say to the servants? He said, the boy and I are going to go over there, and we will come back. What's Abraham doing? He is stating out loud, I have faith and trust in the God that keeps his promises. And then in verse eight, Isaac says, hey dad, I see that we have the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb? And what does Abraham state out loud to Isaac? The Lord himself will provide the lamb. Well, this is, this is good. But then there's something else in Hebrews chapter 11. The author of Hebrews kind of retells this story, and he's telling the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I just want you to see this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Hey, we just read that story. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned or reconciled to God. Now, look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. What's the point? Abraham knew when God makes a promise, I can trust it. And I I think he's gonna provide a lamb, but if he doesn't, I have so much confidence in God that I guess he's just gonna raise Isaac back from the dead. Abraham is walking in a tremendous amount of faith at this moment, okay? Um, So, oh, this is gonna about to get good. Um, So, uh, God keeps his promise. He provided the ram in the thicket, right? We read that in the story. That's in, in, uh, and then in verse 14, after the ram is provided, Abraham names the place the Lord will provide her Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, it is said on the mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. Now, if you've heard this uh, before said Jehovah Jireh, will you just wave your hand at me? Do you recall, if you were here the first week of this series, I talked about what Jehovah, where that comes from. Anybody remember that? Great, three of you were here for the first sermon. Awesome. Um, If you will go back and watch week one of this Names in Nature series, it is really good stuff to find out where the name Jehovah came from. It comes out of Yahweh, which is God's first name. So what Abraham just did is he named this place, God's first name, Yahweh Yira. We pronounce it Jireh, but Yahweh Yira is probably the Hebrew of what's being said right there. 
Abraham, two very interesting things about this verse. Abraham names the location. He doesn't name God. He names the location Yahweh Yirah. We're going to get to why that's important in just a few minutes. The second thing that is really, really fascinating to me is the meaning of what we call gyra. Now, it's translated in this text, provide. I, was, I have been actually praying over this sermon and researching and thinking about this now for about three months. So I've done a lot of research on the word gyra. In the ancient Hebrew, the meaning of the name, the, the, the definition of the name gyra is to see. S-E-E, write that down on your notes. Jira means to see. So I looked up everywhere in the Old Testament that the Hebrew word Jira is used. Every other place in the Old Testament, it's translated see or look. So why right here in chapter 22 is it translated provide? I'm so glad you asked. Now you're really curious. You're on the edge of your seat. You're going to tell us, Weston? Yes, I am. And it's so cool. Abraham, it really is context, right? The reason the translators translated it provide is because when Isaac asked Abraham, where's the lamb? Abraham turns to Isaac and says that God himself will gyra. So it, it wouldn't really make sense. God himself will see, right? So they translated it, provide. And so a few verses later, when Abraham names the place Yahweh Yira, they again use the word provide. Are you thoroughly confused? Are you with me? There's something so very awesome about this. We think about, we read that word, provide, and we're like, well, that's like Santa Claus, right? Like somebody gives you something that's to provide. When we read that verse, that, that word, we don't usually get the full, deep context of the meaning of the name Jehovah Jireh. Let me tell you something, just a little side walk right here. Context in Scripture is really, really important, okay? Doing a deep dive in Scripture. If I took, um, everybody slow wait. If I took this phrase and I went to Shanghai to a group of Chinese students that are learning English and I took a sentence to them and this is the sentence and I, I asked them what this sentence means. This is the sentence, Ready? The bears are going to devour the longhorns in the cotton bowl. <laughs> and, and they read that sentence. <clears throat> they, they, would, they would be, they would, well, I know what the bear, I know what a bear is. And I, I, a longhorn, I don't really know because they're from China, not Texas, right? They don't really know what a long, but something with long horns. A bear, I guess, is going to eat it in a bowl full of cotton. 
they would know the words, but you know what I'm talking about because you understand the context. Scripture is like that. Like sometimes you can get a little understanding, but the deeper you dig into it, it is an amazing treasure of truth. And you cannot get that context by taking three minutes to read the verse of the day on the Bible app every three days. You gotta dig in to really get the context of scripture. And I'm just gonna say, some of you have been doing that, you read the verse of the day for about three minutes, and then you get home at night and you watch three hours streaming on Netflix and you're wondering why you can't get past that sin struggle you have in your life. Just go ahead and turn off Netflix and get into the word of God. Okay, let's get some context to who God is. There is freedom there. Okay, that's, a, that's another sermon, ready? So what, why does it matter that the word means to see? because here's what Abraham is really saying in that passage. Not just, hey, God's gonna provide for that bill that you need to pay. But God's gonna provide healing for your sickness. No, Abraham is saying, God will see to it. God will see to it. This is way more than God's just gonna provide to you. It means that God is over all. In all of your circumstances, in all of your situation, God knows and he's gonna see to it. That's the kind of faith that Abraham is displaying when he says, Jehovah Jireh, my God will see to it. Can somebody say amen? Come on, brother. This is good. Our God will see to it. Okay, so that is uh, the first thing I want you to see from that passage, Jaira means to see, uh, to see to it. Um, so does that mean that God's not gonna provide for the bill that I have to pay or the sickness that I've been providing, that I've been praying for? It doesn't mean that. Um, it doesn't mean that at all. God does do those things and provide those things for sure. Um, and I just, I just want to tell you right now, I, I preached my first sermon 36 years ago. I know you can't, you, by looking at me, you're like, man, I didn't know he was that old. I, I know, it's hard to imagine looking at me that I'm that old. But 36 years ago, I preached my first sermon, and I've preached a few since then. I have a choice right now to tell you what Jira means. I can tell you Jira means that God's gonna give you everything you want, that he never wants you to be sick or uncomfortable or suffer, that if you just pray loud enough and hard enough and have enough faith, God's gonna give you everything you want. And you can hear that message some other places. Or I can tell you the truth, and the truth is that Jireh means that God has already provided everything you need. That's what Jireh means. Jireh means your circumstances in today, they are important to God, 
but God has already made a way for you to move from death to life. God has already made a way for everything that troubles you to be made right. That is what Jireh means. He will see to it. Okay? Um, That's the meaning of Jireh, that um, you can trust God. He will never jerk your pants down in public. But he might call you up the mountain. Looking at verse 1 again. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Does that bother you at all? That it says God tested Abraham? There's a little thing in me that That kind of bothers me a little bit. Like, wow, God tested him? What's that about? Let me just tell you this. God does lead us into times of testing. But God doesn't test you to see what you are made of. God leads you into testing so that you can see what he is made of. Because he cannot wait to come through for you. God leads you into places of testing so that you can know who he is. And also, we have a tendency in our times of immaturity to hold on tightly to the blessing. God leads us into testing so that we can learn to hold the blessing loosely and hold tightly to the one who blesses. There is purpose in the testing, and it is to mature us. God already knows what you're gonna do. He didn't need to test Abraham to see what Abraham's response was gonna be. He already knew. He led Abraham up the mountain so that Abraham could see that he is Jehovah Jireh. If you're in a time of testing right now, that's really important for you to know. God is leading you to a place where you will know him as Jehovah Jireh. So, um, verse 2, remember God leads him up the mountain. Here's another thing. I just just want you to write this one down. God, Abraham was in the place where he was because he followed God there, okay? He's in the valley, um, and he's, like, he's gone. He left his people, and he followed God to this new place that's the promised land. And he's living there with Sarah and the promised son. He is living in the valley of comfort. Somebody needs to write this down. Abraham did not discover Jireh in the valley of comfort. Abraham discovered Jireh on the mountain of obedience at the altar of surrender. Now, you may be right now living 
in the valley of comfort. And you say, man, I, I, let me just, I know some people that, boy, when they were in college, they're like, I am all in. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to the nations. I'm going to do the thing. I am all in. They go through school, and they get married, and they have some kids. And, like, I followed God here, and I'm, I'm kind of living in this comfortable place now. Don't get settled in the valley of comfort because you will not know Jireh until you are willing to walk up the mountain of obedience. I'm going to let that soak for just a minute because knowing God is not in the place of comfort. For some of us that are living in a comfortable spot right now, I'm just going to say, go ahead and get ready. Because God is going to call you up a mountain of obedience to a place of surrender because he wants you to know him. That is where you will know Jehovah Jireh. Thank you. I'm glad you like that. I, uh, as, I was, as I was thinking about that, I um, was reminded of a family uh, that we, part of us, our family here, our Antioch family. Um, they uh, went through college. They were leading life group here. Um, and uh, J.T. Lloyd was working a job at Baylor, and they've got kids, and they bought a house, and they're doing really great. They took a short-term trip to Tijuana. They're living in the valley of comfort that God had led them to. But on that short-term trip, God said to JT and Sarah, I think we have a picture of their family right here. God said to JT and Sarah, I'm going to call you up the mountain of obedience to the altar of surrender. They came back home, they sold their house, and they left and they joined one of our church plants in Tijuana. That family could have very easily stayed in the valley of comfort. But they chose instead to say, we will follow God up the mountain to the altar of surrender. Doesn't that want to just make you say amen? That's what we are called to in this life. That is where we find Jehovah Jireh. So honor to uh, the Lloyds there as well. Okay, so being tested and called up the, the mountain is not usually comfortable, but it has a purpose. Um, and I'm, <clears throat> so I just want you to see this. Uh, look in verse 2. That, um, again, we've been there before, but take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go up to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. It doesn't say Mount Moriah, but God calls Abraham up the region of Moriah to a mountain. I want you to jump forward a thousand years in the Bible to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. David, King David, calls for a census of all the fighting men. And it says in chapter 21, this was displeasing to God. It was sin. Joab, his, his main helper, says, man, this is a bad idea. David says, do it anyway. Defiant to counsel. And he goes ahead and does the census. He sins against God. A plague comes on the nation 
and 70,000 men die because of David's sin. I want to show you this, this verse, David's response. In chapter 21, verse 8, David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Has anybody ever felt that way before? <clears throat> uh, please, God, take this away. I've done a foolish thing. Look at verse, down at verse 18. The angel of the Lord ordered Gad, who was a prophet, to tell David, go up and build an altar on, um, to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word of the Lord that, that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. Where was the threshing floor where David sacrificed a lamb? He sacrifices the lamb to cover his sin, and the plague immediately stops, and it saves the people. I know we're just jumping into a little bit of the story, but hang with me. This happened on Mount Moriah. If you go down a little bit further, here's how we know that. In 2 Chronicles, we're going to go forward, just 2 Chronicles chapter 3, where Solomon built the temple. Look at verse 1. Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, the place provided by David. So David bought the threshing floor, and Solomon built the temple. Weston, where in the world are you going? There is a connection. Back here, Abraham, God calls him up to the region of Moriah on a mountain and says, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. Does that sound familiar? We fast forward a thousand years and David sins against God, goes up Mount Moriah where God calls him, sacrifices a lamb to cover his sin and saves the people. Oh, what's coming? Let's fast forward another thousand years. In that temple that Solomon built, there is a little room right in the middle called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. Dividing that room from the rest of the temple is a great big curtain that was really thick. Okay, we're a 1,000 years in the future. 2,000 years from Abraham and Isaac. Jesus is hanging on the cross just a few hundred feet from that threshing floor. Let's see what happens in Matthew 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. On the mountain of the Lord, where the Lord will provide, is where the Lord provided. Do you see what's happening from 2,000 years ago? Abraham and Isaac had no idea the story that was being written. 
They're just looking at their immediate circumstances going, I guess God's going to provide. I believe in his promise he will provide. And all the while, God's weaving this amazing story of Jehovah Jireh. On the mountain where, the, where Abraham said, this is the place where the Lord will provide. A thousand years later, David says, on this place, the Lord will provide, and the plague stops, the sin's covered. A thousand years later, the curtain is torn, and access is provided for you and me to be reconciled to God for eternity. Abraham and Isaac's circumstances in that moment. This story was not about Abraham and Isaac. This story was about a savior that will come in 2,000 years to set us all free. Your circumstances, my circumstances in this life are not just about getting a few more days of comfort in this world. Just like their circumstances were pointing forward to a Messiah, our circumstances, our life is pointing back to a Messiah, Jehovah Jireh, that has made a way for all of us to be reconciled to God the Father. That's the purpose of my life. It is the reason I will go up the mountain of obedience to the altar of surrender and lay it down again and again and again. My life has purpose and it's pointing back to a Messiah that is Jehovah Jireh that has set us all free. When I pray for healing, it's not just about, man, today, God, will you just give me a little more comfort in this world? When I pray for provision, yes, I'm praying, God, will you help me pay this bill? Will you help, will you heal this in my family, in my life? But all of it is in the context that this world is not my home. I don't need a few more comfortable days here. I need to be part of the grand purpose, the story of a Messiah. That's what my life is about. That's what your life is about. That's what all of this is about, is a Jehovah Jireh that has seen to it for us to be reconciled. Oh, man. Yeah, amen. Thank you. This is so good. Um, Sometimes we pray for healing. I I told you in the Instagram promo video that two of you watched about this sermon that we were going to answer this question. So for the two of you that are probably streaming right now, I'm going to answer the question. Because you're Instagram people, right? So does God answer every prayer for healing? Um, Not in the way that we want him to. Does he answer every prayer for provision of a bill? Maybe not in the way we want him to, but in a way that accomplishes the grand story. Let me give you an example. A a, a few years ago, um, my daughter Sydney um, got melanoma, very, very dangerous cancer, um, when she was here on staff. 
And uh, man, we prayed and prayed. I prayed for healing. We took her to MD Anderson. Now, if I would have had my way, if God would have answered my prayers, that cancer would have been immediately gone. We would not have had to go to MD Anderson um, and she just would have been healed. I prayed, it didn't happen. We go to MD Anderson and she has surgery to have the cancer removed. Let me tell you what happened. The night before the surgery, she has a dream. And in her dream, Jesus walks in the room and he's all battered and bruised and beaten up. She said it was a little scary. She said, but Jesus looked at me and said, Sydney, you're gonna have a little bruise on your leg, but I have been bruised for you. Sydney, coming out of anesthesia, after the surgery, talking to a random nurse that comes in the room, tells the nurse the story of her dream. And she's probably a little drunk from the anesthesia, right? But she's just telling this nurse, you wouldn't believe I had this dream last night where Jesus walked into the room and told me, I have been bruised for your sins so that you could be made whole. Now, I'm praying for an immediate relief in our circumstances. While God has a plan in mind for this nurse to find and meet Jehovah Jireh and be released for all of eternity. There is purpose in our circumstances and God answers our prayers, not always the way we want him to, but you can rest assured that you can trust Jehovah Jireh. He will see to it every time you can trust him. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me right now. We're gonna have just a response time to God. Um, If you're currently in a time of testing, your response to God right now is this. Wherever that testing is, I'm gonna challenge you right now to rename that place Jehovah Jireh. God will see to it. Maybe that's a sickness. Maybe it's a hospital room. Maybe it's a marriage that you're struggling through. Maybe it's that your child is struggling with something. Maybe it's a financial issue. I want you to do this. I want you to take a post-it note and write Jehovah Jireh and stick it right on that. I am renaming this place. God will see to it. And I'm gonna choose to trust him that he will provide in this place. In just a moment, we're gonna have the prayer team come forward. If you're in a place of testing right now or struggle right now, come and pray with them together that God will show you how to rename that place Jehovah Jireh. If you're not there and you're in a valley of comfort right now, I'm gonna ask you to respond this way. 
God, I am ready and willing to walk up the mountain of obedience. Just call me because I trust you. I trust you. I will go to the altar of surrender because I trust you. Close your eyes with me and pray. In just a moment, we're going to respond to God by coming up to prayer time. And I'm going to tell you, you're not here by accident. God didn't bring you here today just by accident. He brought you here for a purpose because he has something to say to you uh, about Jehovah Jireh. Respond to that call right now. Whether you're in a time of testing or you're in the valley of comfort, there is a response for you to have to God right now. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak into this room right now that you would call our hearts to a place of trusting and faith and obedience to you. You are trustworthy and we will obey you. Respond at this point, come forward, pray with the prayer team. Don't leave without responding to God's call in your life this morning.